Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 6, We Can Conquer This Problem. My guest today is Richard Master. He is the founder and CEO of MCS Industries, which is the leading supplier of picture frames and decorative mirrors in the United States. Mr. Master has a Bachelor of Science in Economics from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and a JD from Columbia University School of Law. Mr. Master started an investigation in 2013 to find out why MCS Industries face double-digit increases in health insurance premiums every year at renewal time. The results of which led him to start the Business Initiative for Health Policy, an organization whose purpose is to advance the business and economic rationale for adopting a single-payer Medicare for All system in the United States. Richard Master, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thank you, Joe. I'm pleased to be here. So I'd like to start out by asking, you're a businessman and a CEO. If you want to talk about your business a little bit to set the stage, that's fine. But what caused you to be concerned about medical costs? And how did you come to think that a single-payer Medicare for All system would be the solution? Well, Joe, about five years ago, I had been for many, many years the CEO of MCS Industries. We have 200 employees in the United States and many more outside the country. Uh, we're the leading manufacturer and distributor of picture frames and decorative mirrors in the United States. You know, we've had experience in the United States this persistent annual increase in health care premiums, double-digit increases, high double-digit some years. It was a runaway expense. As we do with other expenditures, we begin to investigate. Is there a better way to do this? Is this totally necessary? Can we share costs more with our employees, which we didn't want to do? And we started turning over the rocks of the health insurance industry and the whole healthcare sector. And the more we looked, the less we appreciated the way healthcare was delivered in the United States and particularly the role that insurance companies were playing in this process. We began to look at other countries. How do they do it? What is their expense? We looked for best practices, and it became very clear early on in this investigation that single-payer Medicare-for-all type system is a lot more efficient and more humanistic. It will cover all citizens, providing good access, broader, more comprehensive set of care, and we thought that was something to pursue. The more we looked at that, the more compelling the case became, and that sort of led me to mount a business case initiative. We began to produce movies. The first movie we produced about three and a half years ago was entitled Fix It, Healthcare at the Tipping Point. 
We then did a movie called Big Pharma Market Failure, which described how the marketplace has been ineffective in disciplining price for pharmaceutical drugs in the United States. And then we did a major piece on why do we have the health policy, the national health policy that we have, and did a movie called The Big Money Agenda, which talks about democracy issues and healthcare, that the healthcare sector has used its massive profitability to really dictate to the U.S. Congress through massive lobbying, campaign contributions, etc., participation in various websites around the country on price controls, how it has determined what our national policies are going to be. You mentioned that we started investigating. Who is the we? Well, initially it was myself, and then I brought on a production team. Vince Mondillo is the director. We did some researching by some junior-level folks at MCS at our company. And then we started reaching out to prominent economists. We consulted with Yui Reinhardt, who recently passed away, was the dean of healthcare economists in the United States and a professor for many years at Princeton University. We consulted with Jerry Friedman. Dr. Friedman was the head of the economics department, now a continuing professor at the University of Massachusetts, the economist who's done many studies across the country for states that are trying to initiate single-payer programs or at least understand the feasibility in their individual states. Many other, Ed Marmer at Yale was involved. We reached out to a broad spectrum of economists and then began to discuss this with a group of physicians. The Physicians for a National Healthcare Plan is a major research organization on healthcare economics, etc. A couple of things. So, First of all, I have seen the movies, which I highly recommend, and they can be found at the Business Initiative for Health Policy. That's the first thing. In doing these discussions, did that lead you to form the Business Initiative for Health Policy? Yes. We realized that we needed to, that the business voice was missing from the healthcare reform movement. And we wanted to mobilize business people to wake up and realized that the high cost of providing health care to their employees didn't have to be so high cost. 155 million Americans receive their health care through their employers. Another 20 million Americans get health care by contracting directly with insurance companies, some through these health exchanges set up under the Affordable Care Act. So you're talking about 170, 175 million Americans get their health care through insurance companies. And that really, from our perspective, when you boil it down, is the reason why our costs are so high in the United States. And we needed to get business people on board to start understanding the economics that 17 to 20 cents of every premium dollar that they are paying to insurance companies is essentially going toward just the financial administration of private insurance. And another seven to eight cents of premium dollars is wasted through excessive administration on the provider end. 
So we're talking 20, 25 cents of every dollar is really being wasted on administration. And you compare that to Medicare, and Medicare administrative costs are about 2%. So if you give Medicare a dollar, and it's 500-plus billion-dollar program annually, you give them a dollar, you're going to get 98 cents going to providers of care. So business people got to understand these basic economics. And they do it regularly. You know, we're all trying to rationalize our supply chain in the business world. We try to eliminate middlemen in our supply chains for goods and services. And we try to make our supply of these goods and services more closely associated with the cost of actual uh, service and the goods themselves. Why do we have all these middlemen like insurance companies, like pharmacy benefit managers that provide very little value but are so costly and gum up the works? Well, that's a good question, and I sure don't have a good answer for it either. Is there anything else you would say to a businessman or a business person as to why we need Medicare for all? So I come to you and say, Convince me why we need this. You went through some of the economic reasons. Are there other reasons also? We have three small videos that are coming out. The last one has just been completed. is called, How Do You Pay for Medicare for All? And what we're saying to the business community is you do not have to continue to pay premiums to insurance companies that are equivalent to about, let's say, 15, in our case, MCS's case, 22% of payroll. Our healthcare expense is 22% of payroll. Well, we're looking at Medicare for all plans that would have a payroll tax deduction of 8.2% of payroll, dramatically less. So you do not have to continue to pay for this excessive amount to insure your employees. And you don't have to continue to have major function in your human resources department for health care. Have you found that having to pay such high costs for health care also prevents you from giving wage increases to your employees? Yes, it's certainly a factor because our employees, like many other employees in the country, have experienced a phenomenon called premium share. They're responsible for 20 to 24, 25% of the premium, particularly if they are smokers, their premiums are higher. If they have dependents, their share of the premium is slightly higher as well. So we have a family plan that now costs $27,000 a year, $13.50 an hour just to insure one employee with a family at MCS. And if the employee has to pay, let's say, 25% of that, and if each year that cost goes up 6 or 7%, any increase, any cost of living increase that we may provide or a merit increase is impacted negatively by the increasing cost uh, annually of health care. So it sounds like employees are hit with a double whammy. Because not only does it prevent you from giving wage increases as you would like, but they also have more of their health care costs that they have to pay. That's correct. 
And if we could implement a single-payer system and reduce the cost from 22% of payroll to 8.5% of payroll, and if the employee share of that was 2% and the employer share was 6.5%, you can see that immediately there would be a take-home pay would increase without a wage increase from the employer. You mentioned Jerry Friedman earlier, and his specialty is labor economics. I was talking to him at one point, and one of the things that he said, I don't remember the exact dates, I'll say from 2009 to 2012, but he discovered that higher medical costs reduce wages by at least half. So he put an hourly cost on it. He said that wages, instead of going up by $2.40 an hour, he said healthcare costs absorbed roughly half of that, $1.21. So I don't think people realize how much that high medical costs is hurting their wages. We tend to blame immigration, but he found that immigration had no overall effect on wages. He said there might be a few border areas that immigrants affected wages, but he could not find an overall effect for the whole country. And so that's one of the things that worries me. We're blaming the wrong issue for the suppression of wages. Yes, that's why Warren Buffett, one of our most prominent American business leaders, is saying that healthcare is the tapeworm in the belly of the American economy and it impacting American competitiveness globally. The country really is, in my mind, after five, six years of this work, I see the country being eaten alive by its healthcare system. As we go from 7% of GDP for a healthcare bill in the 60s and 70s to 18% now, going to 20% of GDP in the mid-2020s, taking 27 to 30% of the federal budget, impacting our ability to address infrastructure, education, uh, because we just don't have the resources outside healthcare to provide all these necessities of our country. It is a very serious subject. And I think the public consciousness is aroused. We see now 50, 55% of Americans in favor of a publicly financed national universal healthcare plan. They're leading the U.S. Congress in their understanding, I think. I think the most recent figures are close to 70%. It's even higher. So 70% on the Democratic side. And yeah, I've seen as high as 58%, but you may have more recent public opinion polls. One of the other things, though, for employees, if they do get sick or a family member gets sick, high medical costs can be a distraction from their ability to concentrate on the job. And I think if we had a Medicare for All system, they'd be able to do better work. The Medicare for All programs that are being presented in Congress, the bills in both the House and Senate, would eliminate financial barriers to care. So they would eliminate these high deductible policies. We've got about 9% of the people who don't have any insurance at all. And then we have, I would say, another 40 million people who have insurance policies that are insufficient to deal with basic health care service. 
The deductibles are very high. They could be upwards of five, seven thousand dollars. The copays are are high, which they are required to pay to doctors and to pharmacies, and even co-insurances are higher. I think the movement has eliminated that, and still we can project massive savings from Medicare for all. One of the important points, I think. Every study that I've seen says that Medicare for all will save money. People will argue that we cannot afford Medicare for all, but that's the wrong argument. We cannot afford our current health care system, I think, is what people need to realize. Yes. There have been a number of studies. Jerry has done a number of these state studies, but the RAND Corporation just completed two studies, one in Oregon and one in New York State. And even with very conservative assumptions found that we could save money and provide care for the uninsured and also provide better services for the underinsured. So there is unanimity, I think, among responsible economists about the ability for us to save. Even the Mercatus study financed by the Koch brothers found over a 10-year period of $3 trillion savings from Medicare for All. There's something else. I was talking about employees earlier, and the studies that I've seen said that employees would have, people would have more disposable income under Medicare for All, the vast majority of people, because while there would be an increase in taxes, they would save money on their premiums, and they would save money because they didn't have any deductibles, co-payments, or co-insurance. And for a person who made $50,000, they could have up around 10% extra in disposable income, say about $5,000. Have you also discovered that in your studies, in your research? Yes, we have. We're a 70% driven consumer economy. So the consumer disposable income is very significant. American working families don't have the resources or are so anxious. You know, you referred to the anxiety of workers when making these movies. We've interviewed a number of our own employees. We have employees who a spouse may be ill. Their deductibles were very high. These interviews motivated us to go to low deductible plans or to pay for the deductibles ourselves because the employees just could not afford the drain if someone got seriously ill. We had one employee who said, uh, my husband is ill. It's such a strain for us. And we worry that I'll get ill. And if I get ill, even for a few months, we're wiped out. I'm going to lose the house. Everything that we've worked for for the last 30 years is going down the drain. You're so right that this impacts disposable income. And on a micro level, there's 600,000 personal bankruptcies. And each one of these are the result of excessive medical bills and even where people may have insurance. It is a real drain on the economy and on our personal existences. It really doesn't have to be. This is a system that could be rationalized. We're not actually talking about the delivery of care. We're just talking about the way care is financed in the United States. And right now, about 50% 
or more. Actually, some economists add back in state employee contributions to, to healthcare and the Medicare, Medicaid programs in the states. And it's upwards of 60 to 70 percent of the healthcare bill is being paid by government right now. We have to just address the insurance piece. And if we do that properly, we can conquer this problem. Richard, is there anything that you would like to add? I think this issue is maturing. We now have a consensus among the American people, number one, that this is the most prominent or among the most prominent issues confronting the country. We proved that in these recent elections. We need more and more activity, more folks, including business people, as well as regular citizens, to be active on this issue, to be speaking to their congressmen, to come to Washington and be involved in demonstrations. This is now a, I think, a two to three year struggle that we're going to be engaged in. The health care bills will be reintroduced. There will be pharmaceutical cost price regulation bills that are going to be introduced. Very important. There will be hearings. We don't anticipate that we'll be able to do anything in this Congress, but in 2020, the stars may line up. And 2021 is, I think, the time that we're preparing to win this battle, to get Medicare for All accomplished. And we need every American engaged in the process. I would like to second that and let you know many people are working to make it happen. Richard, I really appreciate what you're doing for this, and I really appreciate that you founded the Business Initiative for Health Policy. Thank you, and thank you for being on Medicare for All Explained. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and best of good luck and fortune for your efforts as well. Thank you. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.